there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio show about money. Indeed it is. It is back to school, and, uh, well, people tend to get a little more focused, eh, Jack, when uh, back to school comes along. Yeah, change of the seasons, you know, New Year's, back to school, people refocus back on their finances, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I think part of that uh, is certainly uh, saying, gee whiz, uh, we should take a look at our will uh, once again. So we're going to speak with Jennifer Lynch. Uh, She is a lawyer at Dale and Lessman. Um, Then we're going to talk a little bit about Tesla. And uh, one of our analysts, Jed Dorsheimer, is going to be joining us. He's a very, very smart sustainability analyst. Then we're going to end it off speaking with a lobbyist, uh, Alim Kanji, who shall be joining us in the studio. But uh, without further ado, uh, good morning, Jennifer Lynch, lawyer, Dale Lessman, LLP, if I may. Good morning. How are you? I'm just terrific, thank you. And how are you? Fine, thank you. Excellent. Yes, you and I are going to have to sit down because uh, Kathleen and I want to update our will, but that'll be for uh, an off-air discussion, shall I say. <laughs> but um, uh, Jennifer, uh, J- Jack and I, uh, you know, as money managers, um, one of the first questions uh, I always ask clients and uh, new clients is, do you have a current will? And uh, the answer often is no, and I often then will refer them to someone like you. Um, And then people come back to us and say, gee whiz, Wolf, we're going to throw this nuance and that nuance into our will to avoid probate. Uh, Here in Canada, there are no estate taxes. There is a probate fee, which is a stamp fee. And people don't understand that. They think it's an estate tax. It's not. It's a stamp fee to verify that the final will is the final will. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You're the lawyer, not Mm -hmm. I, but I know a little bit about this stuff here. Um, And that's what it is. Probate fee. It's about what? One and a half percent, Jennifer, on a typical estate. Uh, I know it's slightly graduating scale, but on average, one and a half percent. That's correct. Yeah. So we have seen people jump through hoops to save probate. Uh, Name children uh, as a co-owner of an asset, uh, giving assets away, um, uh, putting various beneficiaries uh, on registered accounts to avoid probate. And I have found over the years that it just adds to complexity and it's not really worth the aggravation. It can set up for some pitfalls that uh, you did not necessarily anticipate. So for the most part, I advise clients, if it's a regular RSP, Name your wife or name your spouse, excuse me. Um, Beyond that, even if you have minor children, Jack and I are learning that perhaps even naming minor beneficiaries is not that wise because you could run into the situation of having to go, what is it, Jack, to the Ontario trustees? Or Jennifer, you would know who who that would be. Public guardian trustee. Public guardian trustee. So, you know, I threw a lot of you there, Jennifer, but I want you to now bring it back to the people here. When when, when you sit down and and draft a will for a client, um, what is your belief on probate, uh, saving it versus paying it? Sure. Well, I mean, I think you've, you've correctly identified that there are good instances to save it. Um, so like you mentioned, I mean, where, where there's spouses who 
plan to leave their estates to each other. They're the sole beneficiaries of each other's will. In that case, it makes sense for them to go ahead and save those probate fees by simply adding their spouse as a joint account holder, if, if it makes sense, if yes. they like to share that account with their spouse, and if they intend for their spouse to then go ahead and inherit that account when they die, it makes perfect sense. Or to go ahead and name their spouse, for instance, as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, and then that way it won't go through their estate and there won't be any probate fees on that. It'll go directly to that spouse. Yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. So these are great ideas of when it's a good time to think about this type of planning and do it. But the problem with what you've identified is there's no one-fits-all solution for everybody. And it's really something that has to be done after they consult with their lawyer, consult with their estate planning lawyer, importantly, the person who understands their overall estate and how making these beneficiary designations or making these accounts joint is going to affect their overall planning. Because it's very easy to talk to somebody at the bank or talk to a family member who may have talked to a friend and not understand how making these seemingly simple switches can really cause problems down the road. Yeah. So I want to, I want to interject right there because that you, you hit the nail on the head, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. So um, we, Jack and I are working on a live case and the individual said, uh, and, and they, so they have adult children, they're married, and they say, if we both pass away, mm-hmm. in our will is going to be written that we want to um, designate assets, i.e. our RSPs, to a contingent beneficiary, i.e. an adult person. And I said, don't do it. It, See, was, it wasn't just one person. It was multiple contingent beneficiaries, and they're all adults. Right, all adults. Because here is the risk if, if someone were to do that. So let's just say, say if both husband and wife pass away, we want Johnny and Susan, uh, our adult children, uh, to get our RSPs. Um, I say don't do that because at death, that RSP would then roll over to the beneficiaries in whole, correct, Jennifer? Mm-hmm. And then the estate is stuck with the tax bill and the estate may not have the money to pay the tax bill. And now the executor has mud on his face and has to go back to the beneficiaries and try to reclaim assets. And I say, good luck to that. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. The more, the more common problem that that we run into all the time is is just simply that there is that disconnect, like you've said, where the person who's named as a, the beneficiary of an RSP is going to take the proceeds of that plan whole, whole. on that person's death. And the estate then is going to be responsible for the tax liability on that RSP. It's almost half. Exactly. And as you know, it can be significant. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is very often parents might do this and they may name uh, one of their children as the, the beneficiary of that plan and then but their real intention is to have all of their their children inherit all of their assets equally. Correct. So when you do that, you have the other children who may be the beneficiaries under the will paying the income tax for the proceeds that have gone straight to the other right. child. So the one child will inevitably end up with a disproportionately higher Correct. share than the other kids. And of course, you know, nobody wants to pay somebody else's taxes, and that can lead to a lot of family resentment. Sure, it can lead to litigation down the road and contesting mm-hmm. wills. And, well, you may like that, Jennifer, being an LLP, <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly the person, uh, the deceased, would not be happy, uh, and the beneficiaries would be very, very upset. Look, Jennifer, uh, let's, let's pay uh, some bills around here and get right back with Jennifer Lynch. She is a lawyer, uh, a will and estate planning lawyer, shall I say, specializing in wills, which is very important. No real estate transactions on the side, wills, wills, and only wills, so you're good at what you do. I know you are, Jennifer. Uh, With Dale and Lessman, uh, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. (laughs) 
You know that song. It's about money, as is this show, Hi-Fi Radio. Jennifer Lynch is on the line. Jennifer Lynch drafts wills all day, all night, every day. Uh, she's a lawyer with Dale and Lessman, LLP. And, uh, well, uh, we've gotten to know Jennifer over the uh, years, and uh, Jennifer is a very, very good lawyer. Uh, so I like the fact that she specializes in uh, drafting wills. Uh, they are very complex instruments, loaded with nuances. Um, and even from, from, from personal experience, uh, you know, uh, these wills can always be enhanced. Um, let, let's talk about something here, Jennifer. Uh, spouse. You mentioned um, if you wish your spouse to participate in your estate if you pass away. Uh, we, I, I want you to remind the audience how wills fall under family law, how family law is governed provincially, and um, how, in fact, you cannot necessarily write your spouse out of a will. What is a spouse entitled to, first of all? Well, you're correct in that your your spouse does have entitlements under the Family Law Act. So really, your spouse is entitled to a large portion of your estate and the greater portion of your estate. So if you do try to write your spouse out of your estate, your, your spouse still has a claim after you die that they can invoke under the Family Law Act. So it's not just so simple as to write your spouse out of your estate. If this is something that someone is considering for for some reason, they should definitely see a lawyer about that. Agreed. Uh, but there, there, I, cause I, again, just from studying the financial planning courses that uh, Jack and I have had taken, um, I, I, they had these tables and metrics, quite complicated. Um, for example, matrimonial home. Uh, don't even try, right? No. It, the matrimonial home is, is of course, uh, something protected under the Family Law Act, and it is an asset of both spouses, even though title may be only held under one person's name. And, I mean, it, it's it's important that you brought up the matrimonial home because, of course, that goes very well back into our conversation about probate fees because in most cases, people are going to be holding their houses jointly with their spouse. Yep. So they're going to be holding title in what's called uh, joint tenancies right. with rights of survivorship. So when people die and their houses are held jointly with their spouse, that asset will pass directly to the surviving spouse, and it will not be included in that person's estate, meaning that the value of that asset, meaning that there'll be no probate fees payable on the value of that asset. So that is um, one good strategy to help avoid the payment right. of probate. Right, and, and so that asset has bypassed the will, is not considered in the will, and as such avoids probate. Exactly. Now, so the second asset then, because Jack and I often encourage this with clients, they have RSPs, we recommend spousal uh, uh, beneficiary, uh, so that too would bypass probate, correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah, so then the third one is a investment account. Mm-hmm. Uh, joint tenancy, rights of survivorship. Mm-hmm. Joint trust rights of survivorship. So Jack and I usually recommend to clients, husband, wife, put both names on an account, A, to avoid probate, and B, to be able to split income down the road on gains on gains. Um, if a client, for example, says, no, I want to keep this cash account separate in my name, and if I pass away, I want to give that to Johnny, my son. Mm-hmm. What do you think about pulling that move? So therefore, give me to your kid instead of your spouse. With a, a tax-free savings account? No, no, just just a regular investment account. Mm-hmm. Um, could the spouse contest that and win? The, the spouse could potentially contest that and win. So it really all depends on the, the value of the, uh, the tax-free savings account or, or the account, whichever one you're talking about, as opposed to uh, another relative share of the estate. 
Um, so, so it's really a question of looking at the overall value of the estate and the claim that the spouse may want to do. Right. I think Jennifer highlighted at the beginning of our conversation last segment. It's a, it's a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to look at the overall estate uh, and then obviously make a, an appropriate recommendation decision. Okay, so now, Jennifer, we, got, we only got a couple minutes left here, but let's talk about second marriages and matrimonial home. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine is remarried, and his second spouse or new spouse signed a prenup. And it was detailed, so much so uh, the joke was there were tabs in, in the binder that they received. <laughs> All right? um, and I believe they, they basically try to write the second spouse out of the matrimonial home, which belonged to the f- uh, uh, husband uh, mm-hmm. from prior marriage. Um, would that stick in a prenup? Well, I think prenups are a little bit beyond the scope of maybe this conversation because they're very complicated. Fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, please, Jennifer, in the interest of time, uh, any advice you can give to people uh, in terms of drafting a will? Well, I think in terms of uh, just general advice of drafting a will is to, for instance, to make sure that you actually have a will in place and mm-hmm. make sure that it's a properly drafted will that's been prepared by somebody who specializes in this area and to keep taking a look at it every few years because there can be changes in your life and changes in your circumstances which really make the will that you might have prepared um, obsolete. Yep. And there can also be changes in the law. I mean, the Income Tax Act alone seems to, to oh, big up, time. be updated uh, yep. every few years, and that can have a big effect on what might be included in somebody's estate plan or written in their will. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, Jennifer Lynch, uh, we called you at 416-369-3816. So if anyone out there wants to get a will drafted, uh, Jennifer Lynch has my vote. Again, 416-369-3816. She's a lawyer with Dale and Lessman. Great to have you on the show, Jennifer Lynch. I much appreciate your valuable time. I wish you a great weekend. Thanks, Wolfgang. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. (laughs) Well, next we're going to talk about Tesla. Elon Musk, what a rock star. Sort of. Uh, right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Here they come. I'll tell you where. Tesla. Hey, what do you think, Jed? Do the boys in the white bright sports cars get them at Tesla? Listen, I love the product. I love what the company is doing. Um, I think that, uh, however, we have a hold, and so everybody's like, well, what does a hold mean? It means that I think uh, that we'll get a better entry point uh, by being patient on this one. Um, that I do think that the opportunity is huge, um, but I think we've got some challenges in terms of leadership at the uh, at that organization. And no. until those are uh, dealt with, um, then uh, then it becomes uh, you know it becomes uh, not investing, but it becomes um, uh, gambling. You're right. Well, look, uh, I just want to introduce you here, Jed Dorsheimer, Canaccord Genuity Analyst, Sustainability. Uh, well, you know how to plug the cars in? <laughs> sure you do. Uh, anyway, energy and power technologies. And you also talk. You also cover a company called Cree, which is a very interesting company from its uh, uh, ability to collect data and put noise up everywhere. Uh, but anyway, maybe for another discussion here. Tesla, first of all, Jet, did you ever, have you ever met Elon? I have. 
Yep. So you actually sat in a room and spoke with the man and asked him questions directly? Twice. Wow. Uh, once in a room and once at a um, uh, party that he uh, invited me to at uh, uh, SpaceX. Wow. wow. What a great job you have, man. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a phenomenal event. And by the way, I have the... I have the utmost respect for him. I do believe that Elon is one of the, uh, that history will prove him to be one of the greats uh, of our time. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I've been telling my kids, please pay attention to this man. He is just, he's off the charts. Uh, Steve Jobs and, and, and Musk, man, uh, yeah. you know, truly, So he, truly. He, he's a great inventor, but you talk about the leadership at Tesla and it's, uh, you know, it's questionable right now uh, as an investor. Uh, what do you see? Well, I think, you know, it, just along those same lines, I think there's some striking uh, differences between Jobs and uh, Musk, although uh, it could be an interesting comparison in terms of the early years of uh, Jobs at Apple and Musk. But I think the more relevant comparison is actually to um, Edison, uh, which is ironic that uh, you know, cars, he named yeah. uh, Tesla. And yeah. so if you go back, I'm a history buff, so if you kind of go back and you look at um, – Edison General Electric and Thomas Edison, you know, his own uh, desire to prove that uh, direct current was uh, superior to alternating current and his envy of Nikolai Tesla, who was his assistant that left, led Edison to lose the uh, public support um, when he uh, chose to develop the electric chair or was involved in that to try and disprove alternating current is the viable technology for a big contract that he lost with the, uh, to Westinghouse. <laughs> and that allowed J.P. Morgan to actually uh, silently come in and, and, uh, and basically push him or relegate him to, uh, uh, to a loss of um, control perspective. Uh, and that's why you have General Electric now versus Edison General Electric. And so as I look at Tesla, um, you know, I've been on five different boards in my uh, uh, career. And, you know, what companies need um, in, in early uh, stage versus a um, mature in different stages of the life can be very different. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, the visionary um, – uh, he doesn't have to be the great uh, execution or the chief operating officer. And so there's different roles. And that's my only point is, you know, I think that some of the damage that Tesla is experiencing and his investors um, you're subject to, uh, that uh, that they're self-inflicted and, and unnecessary. What's going to happen, by the way, with his um, claim that he had funding lined up to take the company private? Is he going to get uh, a little more than a slap on the wrist from by the regulators? I mean, I know it's uh, salacious, but I don't have a view. I mean, that's better better uh, left to a, a legal expert um, in terms of what the uh, exposure is. But what I will tell you from an analyst perspective is look at the amount of distraction, um, you know, that that did push the, uh, the stock up for a short period of time, and now it's well below that, uh, that level. So, again, I would consider that a self-inflicted... Yeah, yeah the market punished him uh, without, question, without question. Uh, yeah. And it also probably makes it more challenging to raise capital. And the, um, the facts are that the company is coming into some convertible debt that is under the water, uh, and unlikely to um, uh, to be able to convert, and so they're going to need to refinance. And so if there's greater risk, then the cost of that refinance is going to be higher. And then, again, this, this to me, falls into that category of uh, 
of distractions, where the focus should be, in my opinion, um, really delivering and cranking out these Model 3s and beating expectations so that they can uh, get more orders, uh, uh, which brings them closer to profitability, which makes the whole engine, uh, pun intended, uh, really work here. Yeah, without question. Yeah, you need scale. You need scale, and you have to do volume to get their unit rate down and make it profitable. Um, look, we're on the uh, line here with Jed Dorsheimer. He is an analyst. Uh, I met Elon Musk a couple times. Uh, asked him a lot of very intelligent questions. So I want to dig further into Jed's brain about Tesla and Elon Musk, and we're going to talk a little bit about SpaceX as well. But got to pay some bills because this is broadcasting, and that's what we do. Want a few commercials, then you get content like Jack and I and Jed for free. It's a good deal, it really is. So stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio will be back right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high as a kite by then. Welcome back. It is Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto, Global News Radio. Jed Dorsheimer is on the line. He's an analyst. Uh, he covers a couple of interesting companies, uh, Tesla being one of them. And well, you, so you met Rocket Man a couple of times, and you actually rubbed shoulders with him at a party. Was he partying, uh, letting his guard down a little bit, or was he staying pretty sober and, uh, you know, visionary? No, he was uh, he was sober, visionary, uh, very professional. And again, this was not a uh, uh, you know I wasn't on, I was on an invite list to a uh, Tesla sponsored party at uh, SpaceX, and this was in I think 2009 or 2010. Uh, yeah. Um, to uh, I think it was to debut the Model S, but honestly, I, I don't remember. And I do remember the stock being at uh, thirty four dollars per share uh, huh. back then. And I remember, you know, many hedge fund uh, analysts that I knew that were also at the same event talking about how uh, the stock was a short at those uh, those levels. So it is interesting. The three hundred dollars uh, stock, by the way, today, folks. Yeah. Uh, where Jed has a hold rating on it, so your price target is three sixteen. What is the price of stock uh, right now, Jed? Do you know offhand? I think it's two ninety. Two ninety. Yeah. So yeah. I would say Elon's he's really challenged, I guess, the the analyst community and some of the ratings and some of the short uh, sellers out there. Um, what's your views on that, Jed? And how's your uh, relationship been? And what have you seen on their conference calls? I mean, I think that any time you make things too uh, personal in this uh, in this industry, it kind of comes back to uh, it can come back to bite you. I think that's uh, that's certainly been the uh, case. Uh, you know, I um, I can understand his uh, frustration. I can only imagine. You know, if you're this great visionary and you believe something to your core, really in your genes. Um, and uh, others are challenging that uh, that belief uh, that it can, it's hard to uh, to separate that. Um, but there is a time and a place for it too. So, so he is, you know, undoubtedly a great, you know, it's a great product. He's a great visionary. Um, but with the investment community, you touched on it before. They've got some debt financing that uh, is coming due uh, relatively shortly. It's uh, it's convertible debt that's trading out of the money. How do you see that playing out for the company? Because at the end of the day, they are burning cash right now, uh, and they do need that debt financing. Yeah, I mean, I think that. There'll um, probably be some type of event to um, to refinance that. Um, and again, you know, these are 
pretty common. I can't imagine a bank that wouldn't lend uh, uh, Tesla money to, to refinance the debt. The, um, the challenge is what, what, what is the cost of capital? And so our price target is, uh, so we pay attention to this because our price target is based on a DCF, a discounted cash flow analysis. And so the cost of capital can move that, those numbers around quite a bit. And so if you're adding to the risk, then that's going to increase the uh, cost of capital, which will um, which uh, pushes down the value of the company. Fair enough. Uh, uh, look, again, in the interest of time here, Jed, let's talk about what, what Tesla did recently, and that is they brought SpaceX, not, not that recently, but a while ago, but it's still fresh. They brought SpaceX into its fold. So Tesla, you know, it's a $55 billion company. I can see it becoming profitable at some point, although a lot of competition coming at its butt. Uh, I was in Berlin, by the way, and they had the world's first E-Pre, uh, a Grand Prix, but for electric cars sponsored by BMW. It looked like a very cool event. Um, but the SpaceX, any hope of it ever making money and how? Well, I mean, you mean, sorry, do you mean SpaceX or, or do you mean uh Tesla's um, uh, solar company that they brought in. Well, I thought they brought SpaceX in. Oh, it was a solar. They brought solar into the fold? Yeah. I mean, they brought... Uh, so it was contentious in terms of uh, uh, the solar company just because of the um, uh, 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 arms-related issues with some of the uh, directors and his cousin, et cetera. So it brought a lot of uh, uh, further controversy. Um you know, I guess just to take a step back a, l- a little bit, our take on tes- on electric vehicles in general is that um, with autos being 5% uh, uh, efficient right now in terms of the utilization rate and um, most of that going into wasted energy, that electric vehicles um, really open many doors that have never been opened to us. Brilliant. And so our real interest is around using EVs as a doorway to uh, autonomous uh, vehicles. And I think that uh, Tesla is in a position to, uh, to capture a decent amount of that uh, early mindshare. I also heard or read that, in fact, the software that they have is very compatible to um, uh, autonomous driving currently, is it not? They t- they're taking a different approach than uh, like Waymo at Google. So they are um, uh, they are using uh, camera systems instead of lidar systems, and so that gets you to kind of a level two, level three, but not a level four, level five, fully autonomous. That said, when we compare, and and so we're doing these analyses to kind of look at what the cost per mile is between an electric vehicle, a ICE uh, internal combustible engine, you know, traditional, uh, and then looking at that ownership model versus a fractionalized uh, uh, model, uh, such as an Uber, Lyft, et cetera, um, that once you go to EVs, your maintenance goes down to really tires and brakes, um, and your average lifetime goes up from 200,000 miles to 500 to maybe even a million. And so when you start looking at those economics, um, this is where we think uh, you can – uh, you know, more than half uh, actually uh, get fractional um, costs, uh, which will move our industry over and change the paradigm of how we uh, uh, drive, not to mention the safety. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you talk about the advanced technology in Tesla, and there's certainly uh, so much of it there. Uh, it does trade like a tech company, right? You look at Tesla, to- where it's totally, trading yeah. at on a valuation basis versus a traditional auto. They trade at 10 times earnings with the internal combustion engine. So they're doing a lot of the technology side, and it's reflected in the valuation. Interesting. Because also, um, Jed, this morning I just heard in the news that um, Walmart Canada uh, just invested in a fleet of 20 Electric or autonomous uh, transports to help move merchandise. Um, so I understand you're talking about the economics about saving money. I was I always wondered why uh, an electric vehicle would actually make its way into um, uh, into commercial fleet. But you're saying from a maintenance point of view, the the economics start to kick in then. Yeah, and I would also argue that when you look at incumbents, I mean, there's a great book by Clayton Christensen, uh, professor at Harvard. It's written, The Innovator's Dilemma. And I myself just returned, I, I returned to Canaccord after running, a, uh, you know, half a billion dollar division for a Fortune 500. And, um, you know, culture uh, of an existing incumbent is one of the hardest things to change. And so when you look at a company like Tesla and you say, well, couldn't GM with, uh, you know, or Ford with all their resources just uh, blow a Tesla out of the water in terms of what they're trying to do? Um, my argument would be no actually. Isn't that interesting, Jay? Because same thing, I've wondered why, and we have to get going here, but I've wondered why the tobacco industry has not moved into the marijuana industry, and yet you're finding Constellation Brands and Molson's Molson's and Coors uh, getting into the space, but the tobacco, big tobacco isn't. <laughs> you're so you, disincentivized. You find me the VP that wants to uh, cut their own throat to sit for the greater good of the uh, company, and uh, that's your answer. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's very difficult. Um, there. Yeah. Well, Jed, a, a real treat, man. Uh, that must be really neat being able to, to meet with companies like uh, Tesla uh, at the forefront of so much change. And yeah, he, Elon Musk will make the history books without question. Jed Dorsheimer, analyst, Canaccord Genuity, Wealth Management. I wish you a great weekend. Coming up next, we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about, um, what is it, Jack? It is... We're talking about politics. Politics yeah. with respect to lobbyists. That's it. The word lobbyist. See, we don't know lobbyists too well up here in Canada. It's not a Canadian thing yet. But uh, anyway, Aleem is going to speak to us just about that as he is with the uh, the government division. Uh, so stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio will be back right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Life back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Reflex, apparently, is the name of the artist. I just want to get a little thing in there with the word politics. Because we have ourselves a lobbyist in studio. His name's Aleem Kanji. He's with Sutherland Corp. He's the vice president of government relations. Uh, I met uh, Aleem in the uh, BNN green room uh, a few months back, and I saw him being interviewed on BNN. He did an excellent job. And that was, uh, I think, just before the provincial elections, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, he did a very good job. And that's what we spoke off air. I just have to get you on to uh, my show, Hi-Fi Radio. He said you'd be delighted. And then you had to cancel and bump us and preempt us and all that good stuff. So here we are in the fall, back to school. Um, so you're a lobbyist. It's You know, lobbyists and lobbyism uh, is a huge industry in America, massive, no bigger in the, in the world than in America when it comes to lobbyists. Um, here in Canada, it's a phenomenon that I think most Canadians don't really appreciate and know very much about. So let's go back to the basics. What is a lobbyist? 
Great question, and uh, and thanks for uh, for uh, spending allowing me to spend some time on your show today, Wolfgang. It's uh, it's great to be here. So, um, in terms of a lobbyist, I mean, basically, what I do is help my clients navigate the world of government, and in a lot of cases, there are, are businesses that want to uh, activate their idea, their business. Um, their message within government and finding that intersection of what they want to achieve and then the public policy parameters, you know, the the machinations of government and what government wants to achieve and really finding that intersection is is something that uh, uh, that I, I try to do on a, on a daily basis with our with our clients. So give, give us a real world example of what you do. Who would be the client? What would be their objective? What would you do? So, you know, a great example is um, um, a water main company that we, we represent, and they have a patented technology. It's actually a robot uh, that goes into the ground and uh, allows uh, basically pipes to be retrofitted with a liner. So instead of, you know, uh, ripping pipes out of the ground, disrupting neighbors, causing all kinds of chaos um, because of construction, the robot goes in and it lines the pipe mm-hmm. and uh, allows for a more cleaner um, and a more productive process in terms of um, rebuilding city infrastructure, which, of course, here in Toronto is is quite aged and, and quite old. And yeah, so, 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 so I'm going to interrupt you here. So if I was the owner of that company, I'd say to my sales team, pick up the phone, get in front of government and pitch the product. Yeah. No? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? You're supposed to do that. And, uh, and, and you know, they do a good job in pitching their idea and pitching their product. But this is a competitive marketplace. Anybody in front of government has to compete for their idea, for their service. They're, they're dealing with uh, companies that have been around for uh, a long time that rip up the pipes that would claim that's the right way of doing it versus putting in a liner. So technology and, and a changing um, um, environment for, for companies around technology is giving rise to opportunities in government really to view the world differently and to do business differently. And so having to compete on that and and putting our clients' uh, best uh, pitch forward in front of government is something we do. And, and of course, communities across the province look at things differently. And so, you know, this is a company uh, in Furpal Infrastructure that really looks at things quite differently um, and and has to have a different business model when they're in front of different communities. I would say that's exactly what Jed was talking about. Our previous guest, technology, you know, disrupting uh, the incumbent. And uh, sometimes governments are very slow to move and there, there's tons of layers oh, really? dealing with those complexities. <laughs> oh, slow so, government. Slow, a little bit, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's a little bit of that. And uh, so, just, so talk to us about the, the layers of government and how you right. can help, you know, clients navigate them. Right. And so, you know, we have three, uh, in fact, four layers of government uh, in the city. Uh, in some cases in the region, you know, we've, we've here in Toronto, we've, we've just got the city. Uh, out in the 905, we've we've got regional government, we've got provincial government, and we've got uh, uh, the federal government. All of them look at the world in a very different place. You know, if you look provincially, almost three quarters of the budget uh, in in uh, Ontario here is consumed by two ministries. That's health yep. and education. Yep. Um, the federal government does a great job of handing out money, right. uh, and the municipal governments in a lot of cases are at the front lines. Easy. They don't hand out government money to me, I'll tell you. They don't, but you know, your water, your uh, electricity, your roads, I mean, some of the most basic fundamental necessities that businesses and people rely on every day are handled by our municipal governments. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is very different when you're lobbying for municipal 
provincial or even federal uh, needs in, in front of uh, in front of those governments on behalf of your clients. And so that's what you do. That's what I do. That's what I'm told I do. And uh, sometimes I wonder what I do. Because I remember in business school, our professor would often say, you know, don't rely on government business because it is lumpy. It is very difficult to close. Um, but if you get it, accept it and consider it a bit of gravy, but uh, certainly not the backbone. It shouldn't be the backbone of a of most uh, a business. Uh, I, I often think about the military industry, uh, Lockheed Martin and, and the likes in America, and the type of the size of the contracts that they have to go in front of government and receive, and the length of those contracts. And once they're in, good luck getting knocked out. And you and I spoke about that offer a number of times, Jack. Uh, look, we got uh, Aleem. Kanji, he is with Sutherland Corp. Uh, Aleem is a lobbyist. If you need to get into government uh, and present some wares and you're having a frustrating time or there's some hurdles in front of you, well, I think Aleem Kanji from Sutherland Corp might be able to help you. Uh, we're going to pay some bills around here on High Fire Radio and get right back with Aleem and learn a little bit more about what it's like to be a lobbyist in Canada right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing I love it. Really, really do. Um, We have Aleem Kanji in studio. He's a lobbyist. Um, The times, they are changing. Indeed they are. I wonder what Bob Dylan would think about what's coming up in Canada, October 17th. Uh, Gordowney's uh, death of Gordowney and the legalization of marijuana. Uh, tell me something. You want to talk about lobbying? Good golly! Uh, the 420, the, ma- the the marijuana protests that have been going on for decades. Um, talk about cracking a rock, eh? Uh, were you involved in the, in the marijuana industry at all in terms of lobbying and presenting ideas from hemp to cannabinoids to uh, recreation and medical? You know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in fact, I've, I've I've got a new client in uh, in the space and in the industry and uh, in the cannabis industry, and you know it's going to be fascinating because the seventeenth of October represents uh, here in Ontario when you'll be able to buy cannabis online mm-hmm. um, for the first time. Um, and, and don't do for, it for, for recreational purposes. I'm going to say don't yeah. do it because you know something when you buy online, there is a nice <laughs> digital track of what you just did. There certainly is. There's some, you know, there's some paranoia going on out there. That may not be the friendly well, stranger. Well, I would say our, our government does share a lot of information with the U.S., and U.S. is still a, a schedule. Big uh, time. Yeah, still restricted. And you want, you want to cross border one day. You right. may not want to do that just yet, but for another topic perhaps. And, and you know what? These are all great questions and great points you're bringing up. And the industry itself is organizing and lobbying to understand how they're going to uh, be able to deal with these with these issues. So when you look at the online sales, um, when you look at um, what uh, Premier Ford has committed to uh, by April 1st to be actual retail sales here in Ontario, what does that mean? Um, how are governments actually going to, to deal with this? And municipalities are a great example. When you look at bylaw enforcement, when you look at zoning regulations, when you look at the role for police and fire, and how is that going to affect the people that live in our communities 
um, by virtue of, of this industry that is changing. We're talking about the number I heard yesterday was 200 billion uh, in exports uh, globally that, that could surface in 10 years. Canada has a leading role to play in this as we, uh, as we legalize uh, cannabis. And, and what does that mean for our economy and for our businesses moving forward? Lots of opportunities um, for businesses to take advantage of, uh, of the coming changes in cannabis. Interesting. But I, I'd have to think that, has, that sector has to be the ultimate, ultimate lobbying success because uh, it truly did go on for decades. And what about the people who been thrown in prison, um, you know, charged with possession uh, and the likes? Um, I wonder how that's going to play out and if there's going to be lobbyists going on for them. Yeah, you know. Sentences overturned. One of one of the big uh, one of the big rules that uh, uh, that the premier has put in place here is uh, around um, the the illegal sales. So if if you are a store right now, and remember retailers are not allowed until uh, April to sell here in Ontario. If you have been caught and if you have 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 been charged with selling illegally, you will not have an opportunity in the future to sell legally. Yeah. Now think about that and think about the. Um, the industries, you know, around um, around cigarettes and even around alcohol. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're a convenience store, and you have sold illegally cigarettes to somebody that's that's underage, uh, or uh, uh, alcohol, alcohol for, yeah. for that matter, you are not taking your license uh, away from selling again. You'll get a slap on the wrist. Um, you'll be charged, and and, uh, and and you can go about continuing your own business. That is different in cannabis. Uh, and so I, I know that this government is taking the protection of youth, of children, uh, and the responsibilities that go with selling uh, as a retailer extremely seriously. It, it shows you how important it is for them to get that black market out of there because they are selling, obviously, legally uh, beca- uh, on their whatever the date was. Um, was it April? April. Uh, April 1st for retail, October 17th for online. So it shows how important that is for them because uh, they want a big market share and they want that tax revenue coming to them. They certainly do. And and the tax revenues are, are quite staggering. And when you look at uh, the amounts that are going to be collected, there'll be a lot of first-time users uh, that, uh, that, that want to experiment with cannabis. You're also allowed to buy seeds as well. And, you know, when you look at the winemaking industry and, and how that uh, exists, I wouldn't say has taken off. Um, I think most people, but you know, you are right because wine you could you virtually could not cultivate wine in the sixties and seventies. That's right. Uh, and all of a sudden, they opened up the market, and Ontario and Niagara region uh, became a huge, huge wine producer, international experts. The ice wine gobbled up by the Japanese, for example. That's right. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll show you a little stat on on ice wine from my my previous role. I used to work at Pearson Airport as a lobbyist, and there was more ice wine sold. Uh, at Pearson Airport, duty free uh, through the duty free yeah. exactly. Then anywhere in the LCBO combined across this province, it's just staggering what's happening. But when you look at winemaking as an industry, um, you know it is a bit of a niche industry. There are people that are going to buy cannabis seeds and that will want to experiment in making cannabis at home. But I think by and large, you know, for those that enjoy a bottle of of, of white or, or red, we'll go to the LCBO and purchase it. So- I'm looking forward to bucket beer myself, my good friend. <laughs> I don't know about you. It's already around. Uh, Aline Kanji, uh, it's good to have you in our arsenal. Uh, don't know a lobbyist. Now I do. Um, if you need a lobbyist, if you're thinking big and you need to uh, get some government support behind you, uh, perhaps Aline Kanji is the man. Sutherland. Corp, you can go look him up, and if you get stuck, call Jack and I. We are available. By the way, speaking of which, I uh, will be sleeping on the streets of Toronto, November fifteenth, for Covenant House. 
helping the uh, homeless and specifically youth uh, find a safe, warm place to rest. Uh, Covenant House is just a fantastic uh, and a very, very important uh, institution in Toronto. Uh, I ask that you support the cause. Go to Covenant House website. It's called Executive Sleepout. Look for Wolfgang Klein, moi aussi. And please give me some money. I'm so, so far behind my goal. I have to raise $15,000 and I'm only at five. But this is Hi-Fi Radio. You have money? Please pass a little bit over to Covenant House. You'll get a tax receipt. Uh, it'll help you out from a tax point of view. And you're going to do a whole lot of good. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio will be back next weekend. We look forward to it. And we enjoy your company each and every Saturday. Thank you. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.